Welcome, and thanks again for joining us. Do you expect your pastor to make judgments about you? The question kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? But we would have no hesitation in saying yes to the question if we were talking about a football coach or a piano instructor or a doctor. We want those people in our lives because we want them to form us. We want to know what they think about us. We want the doctor to accurately diagnose our diseases and help us to be healthy. But we are utterly unwilling to receive the same kind of treatment from a pastor. And the truth is, many pastors don't even believe they are supposed to make a diagnosis at all, let alone get involved in actually helping us. But that's precisely what a pastor is called to do. And that's what our conversation today is all about. I'm talking with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. If we say that pastors, that when they're preaching and teaching, it cannot just simply be an exposition of the text, what you're opening yourself up to, what you're really saying is that a pastor has to be a man who's able and willing to deal with subjective matters that he's not going to be able to diagram. And what do I mean by that? I mean that he's going to need to be able to be the kind of man who looks at somebody and says, who's, who's going to be able to make a judgment about someone's response. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor starts talking to you about a disease mm. or a sickness. Mm-hmm. And he describes how it's communicated from one person to another or how it's acquired by you're doing this or doing that or doing the other thing. And he never, ever makes any direct application to you. Okay, but the, 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 the place where that breaks down for the doctor is that if he put you under a microscope, he would be able to see, he would be able to have evidence of your sickness, right? But there is no analogous microscope that a pastor can have. Oh yes, the, a pastor has incredible observation of what people what's what are going what the things that are going on in people's lives. We're able to uh, diagnose people. Pastors are able to diagnose like doctors are able to diagnose. What I'm saying is that if all you do is get up and you teach you go through the the didactic of it and you teach the information, you're not actually looking at the person with any attempts toward diagnosis at all. Well, okay, but I'm still not sure I'm with you that the pastors and doctors have the same ability to diagnose. Because what I'm saying is that the... I just don't understand what you're <laughs> saying. So, so tell what, me what I'm saying me. is that the doctor, you know, we live in a scientific age. Mm-hmm. The doctor is going to be able to check your blood. He's going to take a blood sample. And he's going to have all these numbers show up on a computer about this and that. And he's going to say, you have high blood pressure or whatever. Yeah. And he's going to have numbers to back that up. What is analogous to that as a pastor? What, uh, w- when you look at people's lives and their actions and the fruit of their actions, you're able to actually see, quantify the reality of sins and sins effects in their lives. They testify to the, to the, uh, the reality of sins and the effects of sins into their lives. They'll tell them to you. And so then you're looking at it and you're saying, yes, this is what's going on. You have this in your life and this has to be fought against. Let me, let me address this by talking about, so for a number of years, I listened uh, to all of John MacArthur's sermons on the pastoral epistles. Tremendously helpful to me. 
uh, but he never applies his preaching. His preaching doesn't have any heart. It doesn't have any application. He's not feeding his flock. What he's doing is dispensing the pure word. Okay? okay. And he'll argue you, for that. You say he, that's he will, a, he make will, it sound like it's a bad thing. Yeah, it is a bad thing. Okay. One time I heard him when he was talking about uh, women adorning themselves properly, right? Mm-hmm. And he was opening it up again, as is usual with him, being very precise, very exegetical, very hermeneutic, you know, mm-hmm. just very mm-hmm. clean. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he stopped in the middle of his sermon. He said, now listen here, I have something to say. Well, I've never forgotten it because <laughs> it was the only time I ever heard him say he had something to say. Uh-huh. You know, And he said, I want you young men to take note of the fact that we have many women in this church who have adorned themselves and you men need to note. And all of a sudden, the congregation was applauding. And I thought, whoa, now that's not John MacArthur. Now, was he wrong to do that? It's clear that he never, ever does that. I've listened to so many hours of his preaching. He never does that. Hmm. He did it that once. Now, why did he do it that once? Well, I think that the reason he did it that once is he knew that these women were being oppressed by men who were not manning up and loving a woman and making her fruitful. These women yearned to be life givers. They yearned for it. Mm -hmm. They were doing everything they could to be godly. Mm -hmm. And the men were abdicating their God-given. It wasn't that they were all called to singleness. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so John MacArthur knew his sheep, and he rebuked the men for failing to do their part when a woman has, has made herself beautiful, as God calls women to be beautiful. Now, listen, I'm going to argue, beyond what Max argues with you, I'm going to say that a pastor has a more precise and more accurate knowledge of what's ailing his sheep than a vet does or a doctor. Okay. It's not that he's at a disadvantage because he can't use a microscope. He's in an advantage because he gets to have his uh, manual of uh, psychological uh, diseases, <laughs> it's actually God's word. Mm. A pastor stands on the word of God and its truths. He stands on the method of the preaching of the word. He stands on the method of pastoral care. He stands on the exhortations. Whereas, <laughs> you know how often the manuals uh, and the papers and the journals and the refereed article. You know how often this stuff changes. You got mm. paradigm shifts constantly. All of a sudden, the American Heart Association says, actually, no, go ahead and eat butter. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And then they say, nope, nope, wrong, don't eat butter. And then eggs. eat butter, you know, don't yeah. eat eggs, eat eggs, eat yolks, eat whites, you know, yeah, yeah. free range chicken. Poor doctors. One of the problems with COVID is, Everybody had an expectation that doctors would would be able to be as knowledgeable and accurate with COVID as pastors are able to be with sin and their sheep. Now, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making a joke there mm-hmm. because I'm really pushing back on you. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, no, the Bible does give us absolute truth. The Bible is not changing its... Um, its diagnosis of what constitutes high blood pressure. 
it's not changing every year or two what produces inflammation in the arteries. It well, fair enough, but the, a particular man has to make a, a judgment about particular people. Listen, and, listen, that is absolutely true. And so you're saying, okay, fine. We actually know what the disease is. We have it from scripture. That's accurate. But applying that to a person is completely subjective. That's what you would say. Yeah, okay. that's, that's my argument. Okay. The, the minister of the word, the shepherd, has gifts that are in him by the laying on of hands in prayer. And he's to stir those gifts into a fire. He's, he's, he's to let them live. And that requires him to, to believe in the Holy Spirit, to believe in ordination, to believe that God has called him, and to believe that he should be dependent on God. Well, and the congregation to trust the, all those things for that man. It doesn't matter whether the congregation is in agreement with those things. No congregation is ever in agreement. Sure, sure. But I'm saying that I think that's such an unusual. You don't, wait a second. Okay. You don't begin to be faithful when you think that a congregation is going to reciprocate. Okay. If you do that, you're dead in the water. Mm -hmm. It's like having, it's like assuming your kids are going to be obedient. Like, well, no, it's assuming they'll be disobedient. It's assuming they won't listen to you. Yeah. Assuming that they'll yeah. resent your discipline. Assuming they're unteachable. They're fools. And God never allows. He may make your forehead as hard as flint because he's sending you to a rebellious people. Mm -hmm. But it, it's nice that he tells us that. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that we have any excuse to not be godly shepherds mm. and to love our people. My goodness, how much time we as pastors spend loving rebellious, dishonoring sheep who just spit in our face. Mm -hmm. And they may do it sophisticated if they're a professor, and they may do it very, very directly if, you know. They're not. They're not. Yeah. But the, the fact is, on some level, I said to a man, you know, he and I had a fight. This is a man that has spent years in bondage to pornography. And I've been warning him that excommunication is what he needs to be concerned about. You know, and of course, it angers him. He admits it's true, it angers him. And so he punches me and I try to punch him back. And it's interesting that with men, that's when the men begin to love you. Mm-hmm is when you actually show that you're not going to back down because they're angry at you and mm. might leave the church. And why? Well, because I love the guy. I said to him, do you really want all your children growing up, seeing you with a bad conscience and not leading and caring for them and teaching them the way you should? Mm -hmm. Because, of course, any man that's in bondage to pornography will never be the leader he should be. Mm -hmm. And so he knows that I'm concerned about his wife and his children. Who, who's concerned about your wife and children other than a shepherd that loves his sheep? Mm -hmm. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired mm -hmm. by God and 
profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Which, of course, we usually, uh, that's, that crosses a chapter border. So we usually end the one and start the other, right? But they're all, it's all just one continuous thought. And then he goes into what the people want. A time will come when they're going to want you to itch their ears. And what is the Apostle Paul wrong for saying a time will come? If Is he wrong for saying the Ephesian elders from among your own number, men will arise? Is he wrong for, he's making judgments constantly that are subjective mm. based upon his wisdom that the Holy Spirit has imparted to him. And mm-hmm. how do you reprove and rebuke if you're not making judgments? Yeah. You know, about five years ago, I finally listened to all of The Life of Johnson by Boswell, mm. which is said to be one of the two, three greatest biographies ever written. It was 45 hours of wow. listening from audible.com. Endlessly fascinating. Johnson was the guy that did the first uh, sort of dictionary in the English language. Uh, a lot of the aphorisms, aphorisms, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, quotes that you love have come from Johnson. Uh, one of my favorites is, why, sir, all schemes of political improvement are laughable things. <laughs> Another one is uh, about women preachers. The The wonder of it is is not that women preach well, but that like a dog walking on hind legs, that they preach at all. <laughs> I could keep going with Johnson's uh, sayings because they're, but when I got to the end of it and I thought back on what the book actually was, mm. what I realized is that entire book is an endless succession of records of leaders in uh, Scotland, in England at the time, making judgments about men and nations and Mm. situations. The entire book is just men talking to one another and making judgments about each other, about the things they like that they shouldn't, the things they don't like that they should. Mm. And so one of the tensions throughout that whole book is between Johnson and Boswell. Boswell's from Scotland. And Johnson is absolutely opposed to the American Revolution. Hmm. And his judgment is, and you know, this is another one of his famous quotes. He says, why do we hear the, the loudest yelps from freedom from these colonialists that have slaves? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it slaveholders that are always crying out for freedom? Yeah. You know, and he just suspects that the entire American proposition is rebellion against authority. Okay, mm-hmm. now listen. Mm-hmm. Is he right? I'm not asking, is he right to make the judgments? I'm not asking whether Boswell was right to record all the judgments all these famous men made at their clubs and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm asking, is the judgment about the character of America that they're hypocrites, that they cry for freedom from the king, and then that they persecute they're slaves yep. or, you yeah, know, that's right. That's okay. Right. Is he right? Yeah. Well, but my point isn't for you to answer it. My point is 
all of us are immediately filled with a judgment about whether he's right or wrong. Listen, mm. my point is this. I don't care how much you make the case that a pastor should not judge his people as to whether or not they need this or that exhortation, should not apply his judgments in his sermon. Mm-hmm. He does it anyhow. Hmm. Nobody ever stops making judgments about taste, about people, about clothing, about and everybody parades their judgments. What is social media? But everybody parading their personal judgments. Okay. Well, okay, but that's Go what ahead. they do. They they make it about them their personal judgments. Yes. So removing the authority and, and the removal of judgments is a plague on a nation. Hmm. And so we have we have systematically worked as a nation to remove judgments or the necessity of judgments wherever we can. And what do we get for it? But the the rot that comes in the wake of no fault divorce. Wait, 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 wait. We don't remove any judgments. Judgments are like authority. There's never any decrease in authority in the world. It's a question of where the judgments sit. Mm-hmm. that's the issue. The judgments we're removing are judgments on the basis of God's law. And in their place are an infinite number of judgments based on perversity, sin, rebellion. And so I think it was Johnson that said this, or Chesterton actually, it was Chesterton. He said, you know, the modern project is getting rid of all the big laws and replacing them with an infinite succession of tiny microscopic laws. So I'm going to argue we're not in any way decreasing judgments. Just as when the homosexuals came out of the closet, we didn't decrease shame. We transferred the shame from sodomy to any Christian who used the word sodomy. But there's no less shame. It's just where that shame is attributed. Mm, I give you that. I give you that. But it's more than that. It's that it's that when those judgments or when that shame is transferred and, mm-hmm. and it's brought down into light at tiny little pieces everywhere, mm-hmm. it destroys everybody because it's not, it's not in the right place. And, yeah, and, the, and the correct application of judgments or censure or whatever ought to happen at the place for the protection of the people at whatever level it should have been brought in, in the home, in the culture, in the church, in, in wherever, in the business that you're running. That was the place that judgment ought to have been brought in and that censure ought to have been brought. It wasn't brought, and therefore everybody lives subject to making their own judgments about it and then living in the chaos of the world that's that's uh, censured by f- what? By, by whoever is the strongest, whoever the has the biggest mouth, whoever has the biggest presence on Facebook and on social media. Yeah, but whatever. I want to – listen, I want to say – Judgments have not decreased in the slightest. They have multiplied. They are innumerable today because they're based on opposing God's law and character. And when you oppose God's law and character, you don't stop being religious and you don't stop being moralistic. But your morals and your religion now are the morals and religion of paganism, which has it has an eternity of morals, rules, laws. You have a toilet that uses how many gallons? You don't have your mask on. You have your mask off. Mm-hmm. You, it's down below your nose. Yeah, it, and, and so people aren't having any fewer. People today are more judgmental 
because they're not under the law of God. Yes. I want to make one other comment about this issue of making judgments. You said earlier, well, do we really want pastors deciding what exhortations and rebukes their sheep want? I mean, mm-hmm. that's essentially what you were getting at. You were saying a doctor can look at his, you know, at, 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 at the blood work. Mm-hmm. And can have some knowledge of what's going on there that's objective. Whereas a pastor, it's just his judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this, and I talk about this in, in Elders Reformed, about how we choose men to be elders. One of the insidious aspects of this refusal to engage in the world of subjectivity, which we started talking about with preaching, and now we're even to pastoral care we don't want to make diagnoses. Yep. That's right. One of the aspects of this is when it comes to choosing elders, I have noticed that we're always so firm on the objective qualifications, and nobody ever even discusses the subjective qualifications because we don't want to make judgments. Mm. And so, for instance, the husband of one wife. Yeah. Yeah. One. There you have it. One. (laughs) You know? And so, what does it mean to be one? Well, I don't know, but it says one should be one, you know. Or another one is his house should be in order. His children should be, well, there you've got another objective mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Are all his children in church Professing. and do they are do they partake of the sacraments? Mm-hmm. You know, well, yes, they do. Well, there we have it. And nobody ever discusses. I've never heard a discussion, for instance, of whether any particular man being called into the eldership is greedy. And of course, the reason for that is we're all greedy. The qualifications for pastors and elders and deacons are all subjective. Subjective, and we feel, or we should, I believe, feel the weight of all of them them on us. And we should see that we are disqualified Mm -hmm. on a number of them. And... The reform man who does not make judgments and teaches instead of preaches and does not apply scripture to his congregation and does not fence the table. The reform man who is not a pastor but an engineer with, with very good technique, with truth, mm-hmm. that man is going to listen to this and say, how dare you say that you should have pastors and elders who confess that they're greedy men. And the real problem here is that that man does not know his own heart. That's the problem. He does not know his own heart. He does not know the degree to which he is a sinner. And so, of course, he doesn't deal with the sins of other people because he cuts himself slack And so he's going to cut other people's slack. And the only time he's ever going to discipline anything or say no to anything is when it hits him in the face so hard that he has to wince, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And generally that's going to be some guy who, who like commits incest against his daughters. Yeah. Oh, well, I have principles. I'm going to take a tough stand. I, you know, and he never says anything to the men in his church who are greedy, to the women who were rebellious, to the children who dishonor their mother. He won't do that because that would be a subjective judgment. And he's clean. He's clean. Mm -hmm. But that is nothing in history, church, nothing in scripture, nothing in the prophets, nothing. It is nowhere 
nowhere do God's servants act in that way that we honor and wish we were like them. And so why don't we begin to engage again in the risk of being judge, making judgments, being subjective, preaching to the heart, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To maybe to bring this full circle, I, I brought up that thing I saw on Facebook about the woman pitting her humanity against God's word and the objective parts of it. And I just think that that's perfect way to end because, you know, what is that the description that you just gave, but actually having somebody see himself for who he is? And so what... And how much we need the blood of Jesus. How much we need the blood of Jesus. How much we need God's objective commands to help us understand who we are subjectively. And the subjectivity of those commands. You've heard it said, but I say to you, as Jesus Mm -hmm. did in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't be a bunch of Pharisees that think we're clean because we don't preach, we just teach. Mm -hmm. Or because we obey the seventh commandment because I haven't looked at pornography. Of course, we look at women's bottoms, Mm -hmm. but I don't look at pornography, you know? I mean, the fact is, we are so sinful And God is pleased to use sinful men in the position of pastors and elders. This is Calvin's whole thing. He could have sent his angels to preach to us, but Mm -hmm. he didn't. He sent sinful men. And so we have to be honest about who we are and then love our sheep and know they're like us. And if we'll preach to ourselves and if we'll read scripture, go ahead. No, I was just going to say we have to preach to ourselves. And, you know, we haven't talked about... uh, the whole reality of sin, believing in sin, I should say. That's so much of what we we find peop- everyone struggling with constantly, and that is t- to actually open our eyes and say, yes, sin is. It is in me. It is in us. It is all around us, and it is the thing that we are, are at, at war with. It's what Jesus is hammering and hammering, hammering on for people to see in the Sermon on the Mount to actually see their own sin, mm-hmm. themselves for who they are. Wasn't it Wasn't at the beginning of the Institutes where Calvin talks about... Yeah, yeah, yeah I love go that ahead. quote. Uh, well, it's, it, you know, all of religion comes down to two things, understanding yourself and understanding who God is. And it's so sad today to look at reformed men who are in positions of leadership, pastors and elders, officers, and to see the absence of self-critical capacity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, we're being swallowed, inundated, by a lack of knowledge of ourselves in the reformed world. Mm-hmm. And it's so ironic. I, I hate the word ironic. It's been ruined, like the word gay. But it's so telling poignant, so piercing that the very group of of Christians who believe in total depravity and who actually claim theologically to understand the fall, mm-hmm. you know, an original sin, I would argue maybe have become the ones least capable of seeing their own wickedness and sinful motives and corruption. Mm. And therefore, least able to care for their sheep because the, the, there is lacking in discrimination and discernment with their sheep as they are with themselves. Mm-hmm. Or I should say we. 
ourselves. It's not easy for us to see ourselves for who we really are. It's not a pretty sight. Pastors and elders are called to help us do that very work. And so if you have a shepherd who is willing to help you see yourself for who you are, be grateful. Don't punish them. Encourage them in their work. Thanks again for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.